Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we will be discussing one of the biblical characters referred to in the rituals, Tubal Cain. When I was out for a walk while seeing family in my hometown of Weymouth in Dorset recently, I visited a ruined church at the base of Portland Castle, somewhere I used to play when I was a kid. For those of you not aware, Portland Stone was the building material used to construct St Paul's Cathedral and was personally chosen by Sir Christopher Wren himself. One of the features of this church is the pirate's grave, which piqued my interest upon revisiting it some 25 years after I'd first played there. Upon a few moments of internet sleuthing with regards to the area's history, it turns out that there were some interesting links to the castle, most notably links to Elizabethan pirates. In 1584, Carew Raleigh, brother of the more famous Sir Walter Raleigh, was made lieutenant of the island of Portland, and there was a piracy ring running from there. Upon a few more minutes of delving, I found out Sir Walter was accused of leading a secret society in the area known as the School of Night. Whilst discussing theology at a dinner party, Raleigh had argued and found himself in a state of disfavour with a local bishop after ridiculing contradictory points in church dogma. Because of this, the bishop accused him of atheism, as he was aware that he was involved with a secret society of free thinkers. You have to bear in mind that at this time, anybody that disagreed with the church or had a more scientific or material view of the workings of the cosmos was labelled an atheist. Something to bear in mind. But interestingly, this, this school of the night was essentially a band of like-minded thinkers, and it supposedly included Christopher Marlowe, George Chapman and Thomas Harriet. But it's difficult to substantiate due to the nature of secrecy of the group. Um, apparently, they studied science, philosophy and religion, all of these topics being considered subversive at the time. But I think perhaps the, the mere evidence of this group's existence um, has some kind of bearing on what they were trying to achieve in the pre-alignment era of Elizabethan Britain. But mm. I'm sure you're asking, um, what on earth has this got to do with Freemasonry? And what has it got to do with Tubal Cain? Well, Sir Walter Raleigh wrote a multi-volume compendium entitled The History of the World. In it, he traced the historical timeline of mankind using all known literature at the time, interweaving Greek, Roman and biblical characters to make a idiosyncratic, comparative, religio-historical narrative. Of interest to us is the character of Tubal Cain, and at the start of which he relates the figure of Jupiter. Thus Jupiter married his sister, added Cain. His father, Adam, they made Saturn, and his son, Jubal, Tubal, and Tubal-Cain were made Mercury, Vulcan, and Apollo, inventors of pasturage, smith's craft, and music. So in this context, he is relating Tubal-Cain to Vulcan, amongst other deities, the Roman god of the forge, and from where we get the word volcano. An interesting interpretation, especially with respect to Freemasonry. Vulcan, or Hephaestus in Greek, was envisioned as moulding the cosmos on the blacksmith anvil, beating it into shape, and the divine sparks from the percussive act becoming the souls of man. This has obvious Kabbalistic links with the concept of the divine sparks of the great RE. Um, as a topic for further research, dear listeners, please look into Tubalcane's sister Nama and their place in the Zohar. So, in a medieval pre-enlightenment context, metalworking or smelting would have been seen as an alchemical process. So, Brother Anshaw, why do you think we have a biblical alchemically related figure signposted in the rituals? Uh, well, that was a very good summary there, yes. <laughs> uh, um, to, so, as I've written in, in my books, that I believe uh, Freemasonry is 
based on alchemy, um, particularly, I think, in this reference, comes from the book Freemason Spiritual Alchemy. Uh, there was a, it was a time when alchemy was being replaced by the modern sciences, such as chemistry, uh, physics, um, geology. And uh, alchemy was then seen as an outdated kind of mythology, mythological uh, quest. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, at the Royal Society, people uh, thought it was more of a joke, really, because nobody had over the years, the hundreds of years, perhaps two, three hundred years, people have been trying to make it. Uh, they were sorry, they were using um uh, alchemy trying to make gold and nobody had been able to achieve it um, so this reference to Tubal came uh, and it says in the ritual that um, he was an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron but uh, really he has no role in the story of the building of King Solomon's temple particularly as the sound of metal was not to be heard in the temple so the stones fitted together with such nice exactitude that uh, that um, it seemed to be more the handiwork of the, the grand architect of the universe, if I remember it correctly. <laughs> um, the, the point is that um, the metals were seen as being um, uh, probably unclean, particularly iron, because it was the first, mm -hmm. the base metal. And from iron, it went through a progression into copper and tin and zinc, and then finally silver and gold. And then it was, was made into something uh, valuable. And Tubal Cain um, probably, I think, represented an alchemist to people in those days. Um, a worker in metal uh, mm -hmm. is what alchemists were. They were working with base, base metals, trying to make something valuable and uh, they were doing it both in a philosophical way but also in a practical way trying to uh, create gold and um, so I think the reason that uh, Tubalcane comes up in the ritual is just to put and add uh, a seasoning of alchemy to the ritual. I think so I concur yeah so um for anybody looking to do any further research, um, looking into iron uh, in the ancient world, it was uh, the weapon, uh, it was the metal that was made into weaponry and definitely not suitable for King Solomon's temple. It was the material that swords were made from. Right. So I think that's one of the reasons it wasn't wasn't suitable for use, not even for nails. Um, but the, the cuttings of the stone, that's another interesting thing that can be looked into. That pops up in the, the Babylonian Talmud. The, yes. the method of stone cutting for the temple, but we'll save that for another podcast. There's another we'll point that, that comes on from this. Um, in the book, Three Distinct Knocks, which is one of the earliest uh, exposés of the ritual, they talk about metal uh, iron not being allowed to be brought into the lodge because it would pollute the lodge. Mm -hmm. And then that also ties into the... Uh, candidate who's being stopped by the master and asked to deposit something of a mineral or a metal substance mm -hmm. uh, as a souvenir of his visit. 
this is uh, to make sure that he wasn't carrying anything metal into the lodge. It's not to actually ask for a donation, but if you had carried, if you'd brought anything of an impure nature, such as iron, into the lodge, it would have made invalidated the whole ritual. And, yes, and that's what it's talking about. Is the explanation of that can be found in in the book Three Distinct Knocks? Anyway, thank you, thank you for that, Brother Earnshaw. <laughs> well, was. that just about brings this episode to a close. If you have any questions, please email us on the link below. We now part on the square, and we'll meet soon. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.